From the journeys of belonging to blackness, blackness. I'm India Lorik Wilmot. Nobody else can do this job. You're listening to the podcast, Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness. On today's episode of Talking Journeys of Belonging to Blackness, we have Amanda Bates. In addition to being a career strategist for over 15 years, as well as a higher education teacher, Amanda is the founder and creative director of The Black Expat, a multimedia platform focused on the intersection of global mobility and Black identity. Amanda is also known to take her experiences as a third culture kid and global traveler, having lived on three continents to host the podcast, The Global Chatter, which has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and Global Living Magazine. Looking forward to talking all the things related to Blackness and diasporic connections. Today, no passports required for this journey. Welcome, Amanda. Hey, I am so excited to be here. I've been following your content on the Black Expat and the ways your online presence, including the blog too, and the podcast, The Global Chatter, Mm -hmm. intends to dispel the narrative that global travel is only for non-people of color and that African descendants don't travel. And so your media platform, The Black Expat, and the podcast, for me, is a place where African descendants can share their stories and their experiences of living and thriving abroad while being Black, and all that that means being outside of the United States. So I particularly enjoy speaking to individuals like yourself and often wonder, how did this person get here? What was their journey like? Why do they do the things that they do? So are you ready? Always. Right about now. Act one, call to adventure. This is a breakdown. You know, the question why the Black expat, I mean, I think it's a long story. Full disclosure, I'm first generation American. And so I am the child of two individuals that came from the West African nation of Cameroon. And they came kind of in that post-colonial, all these African countries are getting free (laughs) in the 60s and the 70s. They actually were from the minority English speaking. And so they came to the States. I say jokingly, all good West Africans, they go to the DC DMV area at the time. (laughs) So if if you know the, the Virginia, Maryland, DC, I don't think unique to being of West African descent, but I think to just a lot of kids whose parents are from other places. You know, you grow up with the culture that's in your home and then you got the bigger America, right? Until I was the age of nine where my parents decided, oh, we're going to repatriate, but they aren't going to return to the English speaking part. They're going to go to the French speaking part, which no one has ever lived in my family, to the capital city. (laughs) Okay. So map it out for us. Explain what that was like for you. So picture it. I'm moving this kid who's been a Black kid in a spot where in the United States, if we're Black were minorities, right? To a place where now I'm in the majority because everybody looks like me, but nobody sounds like me because I sound American. And then my mother was working for the U.S. Embassy. So there's a class differential there from from the average Cameroonian. And then I didn't speak any of the tribal languages because my parents were two different tribes. And then I was going to international schools. Okay. So there's a lot of change going on for you at this particular time. How do you think it impacted the way in which you thought about your own identity? Um, I I was learning identity as a little kid in the States. Now I'm learning identity in a different way, being in a predominantly Black environment. And who were you surrounded mostly by? 
grew up around diplomats, missionary folks, business folks, oil and gas kids, all of that, you know, people who were there for a variety of reasons because of the school I went to and the community we were in. And then I come back to the States for college, pre-social media, pre-all these conversations that you see we're having right now. And now I'm the Black kid, came from a Black country in an international environment, and now I'm a minority <laughs> going to a public state school in North Carolina. And, and what's hard this time being in the States is I sound American, but I didn't know any of the cultural cues. Right, because this is all pre internet. Even to this day, there's so many cultural references I don't get within Black culture and, and different aspects of Black culture, because we know that in the United States, Black culture, there are multiple cultures. There isn't just one. You know, Black people from Oakland and Black people from Atlanta ain't the same people. Absolutely. So get back to here. And I had a really hard time in college. And the reason this is important is that when I left college and I eventually got my first professional job, I ended up working in something called College Access. And explain to folks, what is college access? I've always had a heart for folks who just didn't fit in or who struggled or just needed resources. And, and for those of you who don't know, that meant that I was working with predominantly minority students, so black and brown students, to help them think about post-high school options. Such as? College community college, trade schools. I swear to you, I think the reason I actually got the job is that I was able to articulate that even though both my parents had gone to college, albeit older in the U.S., I knew what it was like to step somewhere and not necessarily feel like you belong, even though you may sound or look like everyone else. And so if you're a kid coming from a family where nobody else went to college, yeah, you're American, right? But you're not like American the same way these other kids are because you didn't have those same experiences. And how would this connect to the Black expat work that you ended up doing? Why? While I was doing that job, and this is why it's actually really important to the Black expat, I would say to my 90, 95% Black and Brown students, hey, you should study abroad. You should take opportunities to see the world. I knew what it, what it did for me to live abroad. And I thought, man, if you could take a semester and someone pays for it, would rock your world. And they would say the same thing to me every time. Miss Amanda, I do not know anyone who looks like us, who lives abroad, who is not in the military. And I thought to myself, I actually know Black people who live abroad for whatever reason, military and beyond. And I thought, surely there is something that normalizes Black folks in particular being abroad. And how did you come to know this? Like, what sort of research did you engage in to find out you know, if there were resources existed abroad. I asked a couple of folks that have been well, who are well-respected in cross-cultural work, who are minorities and said, any sites, any resources, is there anything? And they all came back and said, yeah, no. <laughs> There's nothing that focuses on being Black and abroad. Yeah. And so for you to create the Black expat, it actually came out of both a personal as well as an intellectual need. While this was happening, I was simultaneously, there were two things going on with me. One, I was thinking about my mother and my mother's generation and that generation of Black folks who had crossed borders. And I was thinking about how much they had lost and they'd gained and how hard it was for them. So if you were from the Caribbean and you were going to New York or to London or going to Toronto, and just what resources look different for them. And just even the fact that their migration stories never got captured, really, because, you know, no one ever thought about Black folks moving, right? At the same time, was also preparing to move to the Middle East. And so I was just thinking to myself, okay, well, I'm just going to create this site. I'm not entirely sure, but I know that stories are going to be a big feature of it. Well, I'm going to the Middle East myself. What, what's the kind of interesting stuff I'd want to see? And so by happenstance, I started thinking about this in late 2015. And in Black History Month, totally unplanned, February 2016, the Black Expat was launched. And what does that mean to you? It became and has become the stories I want to document, 
the advice we need to give, a community that needs to exist, and also at the same time showing the greater world that Black people do move. They move all over the world. They move, you know, whether they're American or Kenyan or Cameroonian, they move, and that their narratives are just the same or quite different than when predominantly white folks move. You had said that the the impetus of the idea for the Black expat came about in 2015, although it was formally launched in February of 2016. But then you also talked about your own experience around traveling. What were you doing in the Middle East? I, like many people, which I think people are going through right now with COVID, but at the time I was like, hmm, I need a change. I wanted to do something different with my career. I was trying to pivot out of K-12 and I was getting a second master's. And at that time, that master's was in counseling and I pitched an idea. So my university has a campus out in the Middle East and I needed to do some experiential work anyway. I went to the chair of the department and said, hey, is there an opportunity for me to go there if I come up with some kind of concept and we pitch it to the folks over in Doha? I actually went over there to design and launch their career services department. So as part of the intro, you are a career strategist. And as you just mentioned, you also work in student counseling and career development. And I see in many ways a nice synergy between the space around student counseling and career development. Could you explain to us really what's the inspiration behind this synergy? I think a lot of it, truthfully, is just my personality. By nature, I like people to feel seen and to feel heard. And then I also know what it's like to not always have the resources or the understanding. And then I think when you come from a space and this can be defined in very many ways, but for all intents and purposes, if we just keep it to race and ethnicity, if you come from a space where you don't see yourself in certain industries or certain opportunities, it's hard to imagine, especially if you haven't met someone who said, these are the steps. Okay, so then the Black expat is about teaching folks and providing opportunities and resources. There's always been an educational helping bent. So even when you look at the site, I sometimes think about the things that other folks aren't necessarily thinking about because they haven't gone through the experience, but because I have traveled quite a bit, right? Because I have lived abroad quite a bit, because I know a lot of expats of all backgrounds, and I've just had some really unique experiences. I sometimes am also talking about stuff that's two steps ahead because I know it's coming. And I know that for some groups, it can be even harder if you don't address those issues. Like if you don't know what's coming, how to deal with it. So a lot of times I try to preempt things. I've, you know, I've just combined my love for helping people and love the international space. And I've just made something out of it. And I think that some of us have the best careers when we can just sort of recognize what we can do and create a marriage out of that. By observation, our individual or personal and professional commitments around amplifying marginalized voices and experiences. And just by doing so, it's another way of demonstrating how we exist. We take up space. Our mm -hmm. existence is valued, right? And I wonder if that's in part because both of us have a shared background in sociology mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. makes us intrigued by individual stories and really mm -hmm. how the world works. I also liked what you talked about in terms of being reflective about your own childhood experiences and mm -hmm. the repatriation of your parents into another mm -hmm. space of a country where it's just like very different language, mm -hmm. very different in terms of tribal connections and peoples and so forth. And then traveled extensively where you've traveled to over five continents. Most of them. <laughs> I, I, Australia and Oceania, like I'm holding on there. That's the one where I'm like, well, in Antarctica, but we, you know, 
What or who informed your journey thus far? I know you talked about that a little bit in terms of those experiences goaded you to be self-reflective in in terms of giving advice, mentorship, even professionally being engaged in career development and so forth. But I guess what I'm really asking is, well, what's that pivotal moment that confirmed to you or informed your life's journey thus far? Because even establishing a media platform and a blog and a podcast is very entrepreneurial in spirit. The pivotal experience of all of this was that leaving the States as a kid. So it was leaving at that time, my family was living in Virginia and moving to Cameroon because I think the trajectory of my life would look very different. So I think that really embracing this international story would not have been there, for example. Whereas now, because I grew up around it and I grew around people who were, once again, not necessarily Black, right? But people who were navigating the world and were traveling and that was part of their identity. It just made me naturally curious as a kid. And you know, it's funny. I realized I don't, I probably don't talk about this as much, but honestly, growing up as a preteen and a teenager in a completely Black country, it's a different experience. I'm sure we can guess, but why don't you tell us in what ways? There is a different affirmation of who you are when you grow up in a space where almost everyone looks like you. Give an example. So, I mean, think about it. As a kid, I never had to worry about seeing ads with Black people in them. Think about, I think even as children, what we learn about just, you know, cultural mores and dynamics, right? I mean, one of the things that's, I think, a big issue that we often have in the U.S., this is why we talk about representation, because groups do not see themselves. Okay, but when you live in a predominantly Black country, you see yourself. (laughs) The president's black, the vice president's black, right? Any, the newscasters are black. So the possibilities in certain ways, I mean, of course, there, you know, you can get to economics and, and kind of class differential, but the possibilities in terms of as a Black person, you never worried about could you do it because you could see people who are doing it. Whereas I think that it's hard when you're a minority because not only, not only do you not necessarily have someone close to you who might be doing things that are a little bit different, but then you also don't have general media. You know what I mean? Like you don't get that reinforcement. And so fast forward to when you return stateside and deciding to do the blog and the podcast, I'm sure there's another kind of awareness that you're bringing to the table. That was the probably the other part that was tangible for me moving abroad that when I came back and I really got into the Black expat, that I was comfortable talking about Blackness, not just even from one angle, but from different angles. In what ways? When I started the site, I, I do say this often, I wanted it to be Black inclusive. So I don't care where your Black comes from. I don't care if you're biracial or multiracial, if you have a Black identity somewhere. I wanted this to be a space where you could see yourself, which is a reason why there's also so many photos on the site because the, the number one thing people say to me, they go, oh my gosh, there are all these Black people on here. I did a podcast interview with a woman who's in the UK expat. She's Fijian. And she said, the first time I saw the Black expat, first of all, I had never even thought that and thought what people from Fiji look like. And then she was like, Melanie. And then she's telling me, and I'm like, oh, so you all are dark. So you're the darker end of the, okay. <laughs> right. She's like, yeah, that's how we got our name. Anyway, she says to me, I look at the site and it was the first time as an expat, truly, I just even saw people who look like me. And then the funny thing is that folks who are not Black who come on the site will say, I'm an expat and I just never even thought about some of the unique experiences if you are someone who's Black. And it's actually really interesting to realize, you're right, I don't see this representation. And so because I wanted the space to be inclusive and because I grew up in North America 
and I grew up in Africa. When I called it the Black expat, I had some folks who were completely non-Western who said, oh, this is for Black Americans. And I said, no, it's for everyone. But they said, well, here's the deal. Okay, so peel back the onion a bit for us. Most of us don't necessarily call ourselves Black in Africa because we're almost all Black. He said, I'd never thought of myself as an expat because that term was never really applied to those of us who are not white and are in business. And so I just heard the term and assumed it was like, it's a Western thing and didn't apply to us. And I always say this, if I didn't call the site the Black expat, Ain't none of y'all go find it. I had to make it so obvious. I didn't realize it was going to be that political. I had to make it so obvious that random Black people would be like, oh, this is for us. And non-Black folks would be like, oh, this is like, this this is a thing. Like, I need to learn more about the experience. So two things come to mind. You know, when you're talking about just the ways in which you've had to traverse these different types of social spaces and geographic places, Mm -hmm. I can see where you came up with this coinage of third culture kit. So if we kind of think of just how you stated it, and perhaps you can correct me if I'm summarizing it incorrectly, but it seems like this international sort of culture then being dropped back again into the U.S., culture. What's that third space? The term third culture kid. There is a book by David C. Pollock and Ruth Van Raken, which is called Third Culture Kids. Basically was writing to the experiences of kids for whatever reason who grew up out of their passport culture. So my passport was, I had a U.S. passport, but I was growing up in a culture that was not the same as my passport. And in some cases, I think where third culture came in is that sometimes you would have kids who were growing up in a culture that they had a different passport from their parents, but then they were growing up in a third different culture. So maybe the parents were British and mom, you know, they were American, but they're growing up with China. And so really all third culture kid wanted to do in terms of a term was give language and voice to these kids that are growing up in different international spaces. The funny thing is, I think the U.S. has a ton of TCKs. It's not a term that is used within the U.S., but if you're like in international spaces, everyone understands. And why do you think that is? Because think about think about your kid whose parents are Mexican, or maybe they even grew up in Mexico, but then came here at a certain age, and now they're in American culture. I went to an international school. So there's the culture at home, there's the national culture, then there was the educational space where I was like, there's this clash of all these cultures. So you can kind of get these different permutations. You know, in my case, I'm a TCK that moved to one country and moved back. You get TCKs where parents are diplomats. They lived in eight countries by the time they're 18. And it sounds like that third space is the educational space that mm-hmm. was a very heavily diverse. <laughs> right. And then how you came of age in a sense of just how you think about your own identity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Two, the road. Is there a distinction between the Black expat experience and the Black immigrant experience? Yes. Well, let's talk about the term expat. I take the stance, some people may disagree, and that's fine. I tend to take the stance that all expatriation is, is that you're moving from point A to point B, or maybe point B to point C, maybe for a specific amount of time. Historically, that has been tied to those who are white or of European descent. Historically, it's been tied to those of privilege, so business, diplomat. And almost historically, it has never been associated with Black and brown folks. If you are Black and brown in somewhere, whether it's correct or not, you could be working for IBM, right? But some people may down the street just may assume, oh, you've immigrated to Spain or in, and you're an immigrant. Okay. And so let's juxtapose that to immigration. Immigration has a sense of finality to it. 
right? So that you have left the home country and you've come to here. Expatriation historically is you're doing a short stint, but I think the lines are getting blurred. In what ways? Give us an example. You asked about Black expats and Black immigrants. I actually use white folks for this because I think this actually (laughs) illustrates this better. So white folks are typically assumed to be expats when they're going to a different country. But then I'm like, okay, but there are all these white British folks who live in Spain. They don't get called immigrants. The media still calls them British expats. And I'm, I want to know, why are they expats though? They bought homes there. They live there. They're part of society. But if you flip it, and if they were brown, they wouldn't be called expats. They'd be called immigrants. The term is very political. And it's also, to a certain degree, if we're honest, classes. Because expat has a certain glamour to it and a certain privilege to it that immigrant never gets. It's the terminology that we use. And so for me, when I use it on the site, I'm like, look, if you move from point A to point B, I don't care if you moved because you were the head of IBM or because you were fleeing from conflict in Sudan. You moved, right? All right, you're an expat. And people's expatriation can last decades as well. Yes. Right? (laughs) And so it's, you know, what I hear you say in terms of the murkiness, but what's very clear is the intention to stay, Mm -hmm. one's occupation and their race. It's very tautological that, well, every time we see a Black expatriate, we assume that they are an immigrant, then of course, then they wouldn't exist. And then therefore we're surprised because the assumption made is that they're always the immigrant. (laughs) And it's always this outsider status. The label of being an immigrant connotes. Do you know how many times I get asked with the site from non-Black folk, where did you find all these Black expats? And I'm thinking to myself, first of all... There are millions. Second of all, you never even considered, like you're telling on yourself. Once again, representation, we, we repeat what we see, right? So you're telling on yourself and realize, wait a minute, I haven't really considered that there are folks who look like this who may be moving for the same reasons that I've been moving. In your opinion, then, what does it mean to travel while being Black? How does this, your definition of what that means to you, help to inform both your personal travel and expat experiences as presumably you've had to learn how to safely navigate many of these spaces? So here's a big marker of TCKs. We learn how to camouflage and blend real easily because you learn it as, as a kid. And so because I grew up around a lot of different people and I have learned how to, or either I've learned it or it's just a natural gifting. I know how to communicate. Before I go anywhere, I just want to understand what I'm stepping into. I think this is important for anyone. So that you're able to understand context. Right. Because I want to understand how the people navigate and what sort of their mores are. And I also want to understand what does it look like for me stepping into that space? I traveled with my family and then I was on my first flight from Cameroon to the U.S. by myself at the age of 12. You know, when I go somewhere... I pick places that are really interesting to me. But then I want to know, okay, what are the dynamics? I mean, obviously I'm a Black woman and present as a Black woman. When I lived in Qatar, I had a shaved head and I'm not Muslim and I didn't have a husband with me, so. Right, right, right. So you have to do your research. I like to figure out, okay, what what, what are the people about here, right? I, there is an element of me that researches and I want to know who are the minorities and where the minorities come from. And so even with all the research you've done, what's the most su- surprising experience you've ever had traveling abroad? The amount of shock I get from folks who go, you're American? And I keep thinking to myself, y'all still don't know that Black people come from... (laughs) You are still shocked, though. (laughs) And they're just like, I just haven't seen... I'm like, but y'all know Beyonce. And I know she's like 12 shades lighter than me, but like... (laughs) 
they're just like, I just didn't know that there were black people. <laughs> that is hilarious. I remember I was in the back of a, of a cab. I think it was in Doha. Yeah, maybe it was Singapore. Someone asked me, wait, so how did you get American citizenship? I was like, I was born in DC. I didn't marry. I didn't marry for it. I didn't pay for it. Well, I was born at Howard, actually. And yet while all of this is really amusing, there's something to be said about understanding people's perspectives too. I like to understand sort of like people's perceptions. And then I find commonalities because if you take the time to learn a space and find commonalities, even if you don't speak the language, people will rock with you. Give us an example. I was in a solo trip, Latin America. I went to Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, which is funny in and of itself because first of all, I speak no Spanish, no Portuguese. In Argentina and Uruguay, they they all thought I was Brazilian. In Brazil, somebody thought I was their cousin. I was in Argentina and I had two really funny experiences. I was in the back of the cab. He spoke very little English. I spoke very little Spanish, but it's Argentina and they love football. Soccer, as we call it in the state. I happen to know a lot because from a West African country that did really well in the 1990 World Cup, I would say, oh, I said, family, Cameroon. And then he started naming Cameroonian players. And I started naming Argentinian players. And then he goes, actually, well, in the way I understood, he was from Uruguay. And I started naming Uruguayan players. And then he was like, oh, you know all this stuff. And, and we kind of built this rapport. Well, your cultural knowledge around sports was really helpful in that instance. On the flip side, I was also in Argentina. I was up towards the falls doing a tour. Nobody spoke English. And first of all, picture it, me, dark-skinned Black woman, solo, no partner, no Spanish. But there was this Korean family who the dad had just gotten a job in Chile and they spoke some English. They spoke no Spanish. So they were the only ones I could speak to. And we were like glue. They literally adopted me <laughs> as their tall black daughter. <laughs> it was, it was, they had a daughter who was a rough, really roughly around my age. And then the parents, and everyone's shorter than me, right? And and every time I like fell far behind taking pictures, they would stop and wait for me. And then I'd be running and Y'all, I was grown. This is, not, I was not a teenager. I mean, I was a grown woman. I swear every, and they'd be like, Amanda. And all these people were just looking like, what, what is happening here? There's this Korean family and this black one, both of these folks we don't see here. And, and they've made a commonality. And, and it was because I am not afraid to talk to folks and just find something that's a connector, even if we don't share an identity or we don't share a race or whatever, because. Yeah, because it's about connecting to the humanity in others. Quite frankly, I held on to that. Most people don't want to harm you. And honestly, you can have some of the coolest experiences if you're willing to just say, okay, I'm going to learn what the culture's about and I'm going to do my best and also learn how to say I'm sorry and thank you. If you can learn those two things in languages, people forgive you for a lot. Wow. Thanks, Amanda, for sharing those examples because I think in many ways your experiences around traveling while Black can be attributed to your own past histories and your own lived experience and perspective. My experiences as a Black person in a couple of places and, and where my story started may be very different from where I'm going. And I think that that's a very big thing, especially that I always coach Black folks when they're going into new spaces. How you may see the lens of race coming from the U.S. may not be shared even by other Black people, depending on where they started. Even with our site, I try to stay away from generalities because I could write something that is very American specific. And, and this is some of the struggles I have when I see sort of, sort of Black travel media. It's not even relevant to Black folks in Canada. But sometimes because our platforms are so big, 
will say things as if it applies to everyone, but it doesn't necessarily. That's helpful to raise because we are in the midst of the hashtag climate of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And not that these issues around the global pandemic, around mm-hmm. the violence toward mm-hmm. African descendants globally, but it's mm-hmm. very much framed with the U.S.-based foci. Yeah. And so what you're saying is that for you too, particularly on your site, to ensure that you're not making generalizations and generalities around Blackness so that it doesn't seem to exclude people who are non-U.S. based. Mm -hmm. How do you see yourself moving that conversation? I think most people can't help but to frame things using a U.S. context, even if it's meant to juxtapose. So when we have this kind of discourse that exists, how do you contend with the generalities versus all these other components? I'll take it in two parts. So the first part you mentioned, obviously, with BLM, um, you know, Black Lives Matter. Last summer, so I'm, I'm at least referenced summer 22, there was a lot of conversation. I remember, you know, folks would ask, oh, are we going to do some pieces on Black Lives Matter? And I said, we've actually been writing about this since the beginning. And I said, and we didn't just write about what happened in the States. If you dig in the archives, there's a great reflective piece about from, from a Black American woman about the challenge of seeing this happen again or being abroad and feeling like I need to be at home and march with my people and people not understanding, you know, the level of pain that she's feeling because she's an American and she's seeing yet another murder. And I forgot at that time, it might've been Philando Castillo, maybe. At the flip side, there's a great piece by a woman who is Kenyan who wrote about brutality that was happening, you know, she was an expat, but what was happening in uh, Northern Kenya, and it was with, it was with the state, with police forces, and it was police brutality, but it just wasn't in the U.S. And it, it really was this question, do African lives matter too? Right, because that really speaks to the fact that we are not a monolith, and that despite our geopolitical and geographic locations, we're going to have different experiences. When it comes to these issues, whether it is on the site, and if you really want a deeper dive, it's in the podcast that I do with the Global Chatter. I always try to look at things because if you're going to be a global forum, that you can't be nationalist. You have to say, okay, how does this topic, which is actually a relevant topic in a lot of countries. Like I can think of countries like France and other places in Europe had a great episode on the Global Chatter called Where Are All These Black People in Paris From? And it's with Kevin Donat, who does the Black History Tours. He is originally from Martinique, lives in Paris. And we had this entire conversation around what happened with George Floyd, the reaction in France, the comparison of what was happening to France, and really what does French identity and particularly Black French identity look like? And if you ever get a chance to listen to it, whoever's listening to this, he actually breaks down. It's not just even what the Black identity is. You have to understand some of us are recent immigrants, both from the continent, right? And we're talking people who were here earlier, like right around pre-colonialism ending in, in Africa. The nuanced conversation around race, identity, social justice issues in the context of an American term in a different country is very nuanced. Right. And not just nuanced, but also complicated. So I think that's why your platform creates that space to be able to have these very complex and nuanced conversations with folks. What the Black expat can be and what the Global Chatter podcast is is a place where I say, okay, I do know all these Black people that are navigating all these spaces. I want you to come in and I actually actually want to bring in your perspective so that we're allowing everyone to hear different seats at the table 
so that then it doesn't become something nationalistic. Right, right. Absolutely. And from the U.S. perspective, we are the world. I'll tell you this. It is so much easier to just write from an American stance on any of these issues and just be like, okay, this is the way it is. And here's the thing. No one would ever check me on it. Like something happens in the States, someone in a village in Tanzania knows. Right. And so on the flip side, if something happens over there, we have no clue. We don't even know where the village is. Half of us don't know where Tanzania is. Some of them don't even know it's in Africa. We'll be like, Tandawa? I don't know. What is that? Tandore, India, I got you. And you'd be like, no, that's not where it is. But do you know what I mean? Like often one of the things I end up coaching a lot of Black folks is that if you're gonna say something, you need to crouch at that American. Don't stand there with your chest out that it's going to be that this is the same thing worldwide because I guarantee you I can find at least someone in Ghana who's going to fight that statement. What lessons have you learned along the way thus far, particularly around the the media platform? What failures have you experienced and how did you turn things around? Here's the thing. Anytime you put something like race, gender, sexual identity, religion as an adjective in your thing, in your whatever your project is, there's like a million and one landmines. One thing you have, you struggle with, I don't know, and I, this is me, is you want to be authentic, but you also don't want to blow your mess up, right? Like you don't want to, you don't want to, to, to like get it blown up in a way that it just, it's ineffective. And I think what has helped me thus far is that I stay in my lane. I think a lot of people don't stay in their lane. I will also say, full disclosure, what has also been helpful, and I know this is the opposite of failure, but I could get to that, is that there really aren't that many people doing what I'm doing. To be honest, you can find some Black expat stuff, but it's very country specific. What do you mean? Give us an example. So it might be Black American, Black Canadian. It's not the layers that I'm dancing with. It's a little bit hard for people to be mad at you when there's nobody else. <laughs> like, like, you know, there's a lot more. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I've had more grace and kindness and gratitude from a whole bunch of areas than I even deserve just because folks are like, this is such important work whether they're Black or not. And that's the thing. And I I have been very open. I am not doing this necessarily for the attention or for the praise. I do what I do because I want to do it and I feel that it's important. And then in terms of failures or missteps? I would say maybe in terms of failures, I think like a lot of us, sometimes we just do too much. Like there's so many ways and there's so many things I could be doing and there's so many pulls on my time and people will ask me. I mean, you have to understand, you would think I'm the only Black, ex- I'm not even a Black expat right now, but the only Black expat because I get emails. I got an email that said, where can someone find Black hair care in Uzbekistan? I was like, ma'am, I am a lot of things, but what I am not <laughs> is knowing where you could get your shea butter and your pink lotion somewhere that I haven't even been. I said, I know somebody in the Ukraine. If that's what you need, that's close enough. You should be happy that I know a Black person in Ukraine. I get asked so much and that my tendency is that I want to do so much. But the reality is I've realized what we can be is a hub and a resource base where then people can go out and find the platforms and the people and the communities and whatever it is to do what they need to do because they they trust us. I don't lie to people and I try to be authentic, but I can't be everything. And I think that it took me honestly probably about three years in to realize that. Well, that's the thing about being authentic. It's just saying, look, this is me. This is how I'm going to show up. And this is how I can best support you and standing strong in that. Get it, get it. Act three, where we land. 
So Amanda, we have reached a point in the show where I frequently ask guests to describe their latest projects. Give us a plug in terms of where people can find you, find the Black expat and learn more. Sure. So the one thing that is ongoing is the podcast. So the podcast is actually, it's not as old as yours. It's relatively new. It'll, it's a year in September. And so that's where I honestly, man, I think it's some of the best conversations. They are, I said, it's like drinking with a friend, coffee, tea, wine, whatever. I bring in folks and they're not all necessarily black, but we talk about race and we talk about international living, career and all of that. I had a good friend who is white. His wife is white. Even though when I first saw her name, I thought she was black. They have two children that are adopted. One is black and one is Asian. And they were longtime expats in Asia. And so we talked about race in that context, right? And then we talk about, you know, I've got other things that I go on there. And so that's the first place I'd always encourage people. The second thing is I get asked a lot of career questions because that's my jam. That is actually how I spend most of my time, believe it or not. I am doing this YouTube series and the days are going to change and I'll, I'll tell you where you can get the information. That's really looking at both entrepreneurial digital work remote work and looking at employment. Okay, I see the connection, but how is this different? Why this particular avenue? Because a big reason to, to go abroad or to travel or to do whatever is you need money. And to get money, you need to have some sort of income if you aren't retired. And I have learned so much in the last five or six years running something remote that every time folks ask me, oh, I want to move to X, Y, and Z country and I want to have a remote business. Sometimes I got to look at them and go, I don't think you realize that you can't be a freelancer in that country because they just, they don't know all of these resources, right? They don't know the protocol or whatever. On our YouTube channel, we are running these conversations and I'm going to have folks, and I have folks on there who are expats or have been expats. They have been digital nomads or they were employed abroad and answer, and we answer a lot of the questions that people have and even the questions people aren't thinking about. That's pretty cool. I really do like that. So where can people find you? If you're ever trying to find me or anything I'm doing, theblackexpat.com, because that will lead you to our social media. That will lead you to sign up for our newsletters. You can find the YouTube account, all of that. So if you go to, so if you put T-H-E blackexpat.com or just Google it, we, we come up in everything, I think. And this has been quite informative and inspiring too. And so although I suggested that folks didn't need their passports to go on the journey with you today, Amanda Bates, it's definitely goading folks to dust off those passports and venture out into the world. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey on talking journeys of belonging to Blackness. Thank you so much for having me. And I am always a big fan of POC and WOC podcasters. When y'all are telling these stories and you're inviting us to tell the things that we do, I think it's just great for all of us and, and really shows the diversity in the narrative, especially for my Black and Brown folks. There you have it. The journey isn't over, but this episode is. Until next time, peace. We are all on our own journeys, and sometimes these journeys take us to different parts of the globe. If you're interested in learning more about Black and Brown people's experiences living across the globe or are contemplating embarking upon your own journey to live in another country, then you should check out the podcast, The Global Chatter, hosted by the Black expat founder, Amanda Bates. Each week, Amanda and her guests talk international mobility, identity, race, career, and more. The Global Chatter is available wherever you listen to podcasts.